before I start this morning, I want to just point out Genesis chapter 2. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We do, as we just sang, have the breath of the life giver in us. God granted us life. What a gift. What a gift it is that he has granted us. Now we just concluded a series completely and totally focused on hope. And we talked about, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time maybe, hope is, is not an abstract subject. It is not cultural, wishful thinking. It is a foundational truth. It comes from the calling of Jesus Christ, and it allows us to anchor ourselves to it. I, I appreciated Pastor Michael's message last week, um, all except for the you know, him throwing me under the bus about the sword at the beginning of the message. <laughs> Seriously, I don't think any children were in danger by that illustration. But um, <clears throat> Pastor Michael's transparency in just sharing how difficult life is sometimes as a parent, as a leader, as a pastor. Look, we're all broken. Uh, we one of the, the first steps for us uh, to be restored is to conclude, as God tells us over and over and over again, that we're stinking sheep that are broken that need to be restored. We need a Savior. And, uh, and, and, but, but we can live our lives in freedom because of this hope that we have, this solid foundation, freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from condemnation, freedom to serve Jesus Christ and others because we have eternal life. If you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are a child of God and you have incredible freedom in that. Our hope in Jesus Christ is secure. And, and one of the ways that Paul encourages Titus in this letter that we're going to begin to tackle today is to remind him of that same hope that he has that we also have that is in Jesus Christ. Now, there is so much background information when it comes to a letter to somebody from somebody in a specific place, Crete, the island of Crete. Um, I, I just uh, struggled, honestly, in preparation for this with what not to say. Hopefully, I chose wisely today and I don't say too much. Um, but I, I hope that you'll bear with me. I do want to point out two things, though. First is uh, the Bible Project has a, uh, an overview of the book of Titus, the letter of, uh, to Titus, and I've printed those out, and they're available on the information counter. You can pick one of those up. Um, and what I would also really like to encourage you to do, it, it only takes about five minutes of your time, um, jump on YouTube, search Bible Project Titus. Only need to put in those three words. Bible Project Titus, and watch their, um, it's, it's a, it truly is an amazing work that the Bible Project does to help give us overviews of complete books. Um, they, they overview lots of other subjects, 
the Holy Spirit, God, what's repentance, those sorts of things. You can go to their website and find all sorts of information. But the easiest way to watch the video of, of the outline of the book of Titus is just to go to YouTube, uh, Bible Project, Titus, and you can see it there. Um, Titus is on, when he receives the letter, is on the island of Crete. Uh, in its history, the island of Crete had been part of the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Venetian Republic, the Ottoman Empire. It was an autonomous state at one time and eventually now is part of modern-day Greece. It's a territory of Greece. Paul's first encounter with the people on the island of Crete was when he was being taken to Rome on a ship to meet with the higher-ups, and they... Uh, they encountered storms and they had to find refuge in the sea. And so they, they kind of tucked themselves up next to this island of Crete for a while. And it was a long while. They gave Paul um, incredible freedom. Uh, Paul just had his way with captors. Um, they gave him incredible freedom to, to roam around the island of Crete. And, and Paul started churches on the island of Crete at this time. Um, and then he went on. To, uh, to Rome, and then later, uh, for another short period of time, uh, returns to the island of Crete because he had left work undone there, and he returns with Titus. Uh, some commentators say that he sent Titus, but you'll see in the text that it says that he left him there. Um, so Paul was there with Titus for a short period of time, and then Paul takes off to further on in his mission, and he leaves Titus to lead these new churches and, and really to help these new, new churches kind of find their way back to what Paul originally taught them. They've, they've lost their way, and it's, it's not hard to see why when you read about the island of Crete. The entire island was somewhat of a red-light district. It was an immoral free-for-all on the island of Crete. It was notorious for treachery, violence, and sexual corruption. It was home to many a pirate, uh, and, and they, they would proclaim themselves as that. If you lived in another country and someone referred to you as a Cretan, it was not a compliment. Uh, it was a, an incredible disparagement to be called a Cretan. Now, I've uttered that phrase before and never really understood the history behind it, but if somebody calls you a Cretan, um, <laughs> Just doesn't feel right, does it? Um, because it's not. Now, in this letter, just as incredibly large brushstrokes, um, Paul tackles three main themes. The first main theme in Paul's letter here to Titus is the fact that, that God is our Savior. God as Savior. Now, it's a little unusual because uh, usually Paul refers to Jesus Christ as our Savior, Christ as Savior in all of his other letters. And it's interesting to make note that he uses God here. Um, it's, it's essentially what we would call today Trinitarian language. Um, you know, even in the book of Genesis, it says that the Lord, or in the Old Testament, the Lord, our God, is one God. And we see many times that he's also, we also see that in, within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— one God, three persons of such. Um, Paul, when speaking of God as Savior here, is referring to all three at the same time. Because they, they are the same, but separate 
I mean, it's one of those mysteries of our God that we honestly have to just be willing to say, it's a mystery. I don't understand it. That's why our God is, is creator of all things. That's why he is all powerful. That, that's why he is all things. There are things that we can't fully understand. Um, there is no distinction uh, in Paul's reference here using God as Savior. Second, he reminds Titus to hold on to the word of God, to make every effort to teach sound doctrine. Uh, faithfulness and truth. The word doctrine simply means a belief or set of beliefs held or taught by the church. And, and when Paul refers to sound doctrine, he's most specifically speaking about what he has taught. Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well, but um, he is urging Titus to hold on to what is true, just as he has urged Timothy in previous letters and, and the Thessalonians and, and all other letters. He, he focuses on this a great deal. Um, what were you taught? What's in God's word? And the letter to Titus became a part of that, God's word. In, in every area, Paul planted churches and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ as people's only hope of heaven, apart from obedience to the law and all the Jews had added to it. See, this is a, a part of the problem with the churches on the island of Crete. Uh, they are being undermined by people who claim to know the truth, but are simply just deceiving them and leading them astray in some ways to line their own pockets. They're not there because they have a passion for God and the truth. They are there because they want to push an agenda and make money while they do it. Um, they are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they are mentioned in that way many, many times in the writings of Paul. I mean, this is as important now for us as it ever is, isn't it? I mean, one of the daily struggles that we have in life is what is true? What is reality? Because you got people that you know and love who say the reality is this, and you got people that you know and love that say the reality is this, and well, do we just, you know, roll the dice, throw a dart at a dartboard to find out what the truth is? Um, this is an important struggle, and it has been century after century because Satan is hard at work in the midst of every generation to dilute and discourage the gospel message. Some, and, and we see this in the church. Uh, we, we, we need to fight and war against this in our own church, that we stay true to the word of God, true to what he has given us, that we don't just interpret a, a section of scripture or pull it out of context because we want it to say this. You know, well, it's not a loving thing to oppose somebody because of a behavior that they're, that they're choosing. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that we should speak the truth in love, that, that we stand up against things that are wrong, and we know they're wrong because God's word tells us. Uh, the truth is that the truth changes lives for eternity. For eternity. 
God is Savior, sound doctrine, and the third area Paul emphasizes is the importance of, of godly behavior. Now, what we say and what we do absolutely have to match. If they don't, number one, our children, if we're parents, will see right through that, and they will lose respect for us. And number two, people outside of our relationships and how we interact with them in a, as a business owner or as a customer, our actions speak a lot louder than our words do. And they, they need to match. And, and in, in the bumper, uh, we can take a look at this part of it, this godly behavior uh, challenge, and we can say, well, it's just a big guilt trip. But, but what we're going to find as we go through the book of Titus, that it's not a guilt trip, it's a grace trip. It, it, it is, uh, our desire to live godly lives comes from our gratefulness for what the incredible grace and love of God has done for us. Um, I, I trust that you will be able to see these three themes over and over as we go through Paul's letter to, to Titus over the next five weeks. So now, if you would, if you haven't already, turn to the book of Titus in your Bibles. It, it follows First and Second Timothy, which follows First and Second Thessalonians. So if you hit any of those letters, keep going until you get to the book of Titus if you're in a paper book Bible this morning. And I want to read verses 1 through 4. I'll give you just a couple more seconds to get there. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This is an extended salutation as far as letters of Paul. And there are two questions that I want to answer this morning that we can find answers to in these short four verses that Paul writes in his letter to Titus. The questions are this. Number one, what do we need to know about who we are? And number two, why are we here? Why are we here? And I don't mean necessarily here, here, but here, okay? Uh, and it's easy to get distracted from these truths as we focus on our everyday struggles in life. Uh, we forget. We forget about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We, we worry. We get anxious. We make selfish and self-indulging choices. We go with the flow of the culture. And, and honestly, why wouldn't we? Um, that offers us satisfaction. It offers us pleasure. Um, sometimes it gives us purpose and identity. Uh, we get into a groove of working hard because we want to fulfill certain wants and desires that we have. And, and as we avoid correction, because when we come to a place like this sometimes, or, or uh, to youth group as, as a young person, or even uh, children's church as a child, and we hear something that is counter to what we want, um, it convicts us. 
And, and if we want to continue living in that way or choosing that way, then the easiest thing for us is to not feel that way. I don't want to feel convicted because I want to do this thing. So I avoid going to those places and then I isolate myself. And I remove myself from those opportunities to be disciplined and corrected. When what we really should be doing is engaging and proclaiming and living God's word right before the eyes of all who are observing us and, and who, who can then also take opportunities to correct us. I, and, and I don't know, well, I do know why this comes to mind. This was this last weekend and the next couple weekends um, are big sports weekends for for our county, you know, um, and and sports generally uh, bring out the passions in people, right? Um, and and sometimes it's not even a Christian that God uses to correct us, because everybody's watching. And I remember the day in a gym in Casey, Wyoming, where I made a few corrective statements towards a referee. And the husband of someone I know, I mean, I know him too. He turns to me and he says to me, I thought you were a pastor. Now, I think he was joking. He didn't say it in a mean way. But how true was it? Completely and totally true. And I may or may not, I don't know, have missed an opportunity to be an example to this person of what a genuine Christ follower is like. And I get, I get that passions get us, and, and, and it even seems like it's worse today. You know, the last couple years have extended everyone, and everybody is living on that fine line of stress, and I've had enough, and, and, and get out of my face, and, and, and our impatience is just waiting to boil over. But, but we can't use that as an excuse. What we need to do is we need to, we need to retreat back and latch onto the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and be thankful for the forgiveness that we receive when we do and say something stupid. Uh, Paul is going to be tackling that uh, to us, uh, tackling that uh, with Titus as we go through this. So first of all, uh, I want to start looking at the question, so who are we? And, and recognize that the things that Paul says about himself also apply to us. Paul was, was an apostle, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but Paul was a human being. There was nothing super, super special about Paul compared to us. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was given great responsibility. He was given great opportunity. But he struggled just as much in his personal life as you and I do. He was 100% human being. Needed Jesus Christ as his Savior just as, as we do. So first of all, Paul describes himself as a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus. Servants of the Lord. Now, uh, that, that first bullet point under there is, is we are slaves. 
Now, Paul, a servant, the NIV says, the New American Standard translates the word servant here as bondservant. And I don't know why the translators of the NIV chose to use the English word servant, but I think it, it falls a little bit short in describing what the actual word means. I mean, I looked this up in, in a Strong's, and, and it says that it, all of the options that are given for that Greek word that is used uh, are slave, bond, servant, someone who has basically given himself up to another's will at his own expense. Now, I recognize, and I'm not going there today, but I recognize there are other definitions of slave as well, but in this case, it's bond servant. Someone who, who found themselves in a place where they needed to somehow support their family, and so they gave themselves up to someone else in order to do that. We are those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his con his cause around the world. It means that we're devoted to God to the disregard of our own interests, which is the best place to be. Now, we've all been burned by people when we've done that. We've trusted another person or we've, we've sort of given ourselves to someone else and they, they, uh, they betray us. And so then we think, well, that's my experience. And we begin to translate that to God. But we need to recognize that God is not a human being. God is sovereign and all-powerful. And we're even told in the text today, he, he not only doesn't lie, he can't. It's not in his character. And since we have been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, why wouldn't we consider ourselves bondservants, slaves? We are servants, and as servants, we are also sent. Uh, we're sent. Paul calls himself an apostle. And, and the word apostle can have a couple different meanings. On the one hand, it refers to the original 12, uh, men who were, were called upon by Jesus Christ, disciples who were eyewitnesses to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Paul uh, says that he was an apostle as well, but he, he uh, what's the word that I want? Anyway, he says in addition to that, say that, uh, he refers to himself as one abnormally born. Uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8 in his letter to Corinth. And last of all, he appeared to me also talking about Jesus appearing to him and putting his call on his life as to one abnormally born. He was brought in as an apostle so that he could be sent to the world. Um, God knew exactly what he was doing here. And we could go into Paul, and Paul does this often as well, but we're not going to. His hangups, the things that he was, the, 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 the bad stuff he was doing. Um, going after Christians, putting them in prison, condoning their death. Um, Paul did all of those things. God knew, yet God knew what he was doing when he called him to be an apostle and, and, a, and a missionary. And, and we've all been called to go as disciples, to go as evangelists. So 
we've all also and are also being sent. Slaves of God sent, and the third one is that we are selected. So in the remainder of verse 1, Paul describes his purpose and our purpose. Look at what he says there. An apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect. Okay, faith and election. It's, the, it's one of the great debates in all of Christendom, right? Um, it, was the, it was the reason Calvin wrote his big stack of books, and it was the reason Arminius wrote his stack of books, and it was the reason that, that they engaged in, in conversation often. Who's right? Is it, is it completely and totally free will, or are we all chosen by God, and, and we really don't have to, to do anything? It just happens. And we try to dissect the difference between human will and God's sovereignty. Which one is it, right? Which one do I need to believe in? Uh, God choosing us or us choosing God? But it doesn't seem to face Paul. Um, look at that again. An apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect. See, Paul says both in the same sentence. It doesn't seem to faze him. Faith is a human decision. When I trust something, when I have faith in that chair that it's going to hold me up, what do I have to do? I just can't stand here and say, oh, yep, I got faith in that. I got to sit in the chair. It's, it's, it's an action on our part. It's an act of our will. And God's elect, those are the chosen ones. All those who come to Christ are chosen by God. Before creation, the Bible tells us, God chose us. All who will believe have been chosen by God. Now, does that even make sense? That it can be both? I want to say, yes, it can make sense, but does it make sense to me? Absolutely not. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. So, so listen, salvation from beginning to end is the sovereign work of God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then the, the writer of Hebrews in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 2, says it this way, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's an act of God. It's his grace. It is a gift that we are given. And yet, no one will be saved who does not repent and believe. Uh, all who repent and believe will be saved. Paul says in Romans, 10, now he wrote Ephesians, he says in Romans 10, 13, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is, that is an act, me calling, me confessing with my mouth. That is a decision that I have to make. 
And, and I understand that there's, I mean, if you, if, you, if you like this debate, you're all over me already. You're ready. You're writing notes. You're like, I'm going to, we're going to have a conversation about this. Which is fine. Which is fine. Um, I'm, I'm all up for that. Uh, because if I've said anything that is, you know, wrong, I, I don't, I would like to know. But, but hear me out here, okay? Some would say, well, God changed your heart before you voiced that. Okay. I mean, Paul, to me, to me, the question is more about, am I a child of God or not? Um, whether, whether it happened um, by him changing my heart and then me confessing that out loud, or it was him drawing me to himself, which he does, there's, there's no way that I would search after him all on my own. He, he's got to be drawing me to himself. And, and in that time, I, I surrender my life. I mean, we can get down to semantics, but, but listen to something that Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said. Um, this is what he said uh, up here on the screen. He, God, saves man by grace, and if men perish, they perish justly by their own fault. How, says someone, do you reconcile these two doctrines? Because they're both taught. We see them both in Scripture. My dear brethren, I never reconcile two friends. Never. These two doctrines are friends with one another, for they are both in God's word, and I shall not attempt to reconcile them. And I would say neither should we. Paul, Paul staunchly stood against anything that would bring into question the sovereignty of God. That is never a question. And he also stood against anything that would diminish the importance and passion for evangelism and missions. Because there are people who say, well, if God chooses us and he's going to choose you, whether I tell you about Jesus Christ or not, then why do I need to be all stressed out about proclaiming the good news to the world if he's just going to save those who he's going to save? And on the other side of that is, is sort of the opposite uh, response and it's like, well, I gotta be as I gotta say all the right things, and it's up to me. It's completely my responsibility to convince that person to 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 believe that Jesus is real. It's neither one of those. Those are extremes, and and that's where Satan wants us to live. Because when we live at one of those extremes, then we are. We are opposed at the, to the other extreme. And then we end up fighting and arguing over, is it this or is it that? Instead of continuing to live our life in a godly way before people, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, which Paul tells us to do, and then we leave the rest up to God. It takes the pressure off. It helps us see the incredible mercy and grace that is the gift of salvation from God. We are slaves, we are sent, we are selected, and then we are also sanctified. A child of God is to live a sanctified life, a, a holy, pure, and godly life. Our desire to live this way and our guilt when we don't 
is evidence of the fact that, that we have genuine salvation. And, and it's a beam of light before all the people that we live with and around that this is a real thing. This is a great thing. And this is the place where Satan wields the most temptation for power, isn't it? Because, because as, as human beings, we want what we want. And our desires can often get in the way of our heads. Uh, Vance Havner commenting on the church's failure to move from faith to knowledge to godliness said this, we are challenged these days, but not changed. Convicted, but not converted. We hear, but do not. And thereby we deceive ourselves. Kind of sounds like the church today, doesn't it? It, it happens to us. He wrote that in 1963. He'd just as well have written that in AD 64 or the year 2022. Or probably the year 3000 if this planet survives that long and God waits that long. You see, saving faith moves us towards full knowledge of the truth that will always result in godliness. And knowledge of truth and godliness are always connected in Christianity. Pastor Ty once said, he was a pastor that, that used to be here an associate, a youth, a worship, and now he's pastoring a church in Lusk, Prairie Hills Community Church. He once said in a sermon, we don't need more knowledge. We have enough. What we need is more obedience. Knowledge is at, there is knowledge everywhere. We have access to it on our phones. Now, remember, it's what knowledge, we get to trust the right knowledge. But, but it's completely and totally accessible. We don't lack for knowledge. Um, and, and what we shouldn't do is think that because we sit here on a Sunday morning and we get knowledge, that, that that's where it stops. But that knowledge needs to translate to belief, which then translates to behavior. Because if you're behaving in a way that's contrary to what you think or say or hear, then you've missed the boat. I think obedience is probably the, link, the, the weak link. Our refusal to obey the truth of God's word. Because if we obey the truth of God's word, then we don't get to do whatever we want to do. We don't get to think whatever we want to think. We don't get to be whatever we want to be. As servants of God, what we believe will affect how we live, and how we live demonstrates what we believe. Um, we are servants. We're also secure in the Lord. And that security comes from the hope. Uh, look at verse 2. Uh, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. That's not wishful thinking. That's like, ah, oh, if I'm just good enough, I'll get in. That's not the hope that Paul is talking about. It's the hope that says, yes, you have eternal life because you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've confessed with your mouth. You've believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And you might be, maybe one day. No, you will. In fact, from that moment on, are saved. 
It's, it's like a, a chain reaction. Um, we can, uh, because of this security that we have, we can live for him with incredible abandonment, knowing that no matter what happens, we are his. The saving faith of those who belong to God leads to a knowledge of the truth because we study more, we listen more, which then leads us to live godly lives because now we know it, then it's like, okay, now I know it, I need to do it, and then we do it. And all of that rests on the hope of eternal life in a God who cannot lie. We are secure because we have God's witness in this. He cannot lie. What he promises goes. And what a promise it is. And, and it is also a quality of life. Christ in us. Can it get any better than that? I mean, really. That song that we sing, it always makes me think. It's, it's uh, that, that one where we, we're like giving the Holy Spirit permission. That's kind of what it sounds like, but that's really not what it means. It's like in, it's, it's us thinking in our heads. He's here, am I going to listen to him? And, and if we would just, this hope of eternal life is based on the character and integrity of God himself. Contrary to Satan, who is a liar and the father of lies, as well as the Cretans, as they are described as being always liars. Crete was a tough place to be a pastor. It was a tough place to be a missionary, but it needed one. Titus was the guy, and Paul was trying to encourage him and challenge him and help him be successful at what he was called to do. And we're secure because we have his word. Before time was even created, God, God knew exactly. Get... This is part of this blind, mo, mo, blind b- mind-blowing stuff. Before time even existed, God knew that you were going to be sitting in this room or watching online to hear the message that he has for you today. I don't know what it is from what, what he has asked me to present today that is going to speak to you, but this is the place and time God wanted it to happen. He is that big. He is that sovereign. What if, what if you had overslept this morning? What if you went for that extra cup of coffee and, and you were, I don't know, thumbing through Facebook and you fell asleep in your chair and you didn't make it to church? That's a good, you wouldn't be here probably. Did that screw up God's sovereignty? No. I don't know how that works. I just know that our God is, an, is, is amazing and powerful and loving. And, and there are certain questions in life, honestly, that I, I will never know the answer to. I don't need to know the answer to. For thousands of years, people were waiting for the Messiah to come. I bet they even thought one day, I bet this stuff isn't even true. They were convinced somehow by somebody to think that it it wasn't even real. But what does Paul say there in, in that opening? At his appointed season, he brought his word to light. God knew when in history that needed to happen, and it did. 
in exactly the way that he needed it to and he wanted it to. Now, seriously, that that emoji with the head and the explosion coming out of the top, that should happen often when you think about God. Because every day we should come to the conclusion that it's just all mind-blowing. The fact that I'm a child of God, because and, and I know that I am, uh, the, the Bible has made that very clear to me in many different places. He chose me. He, before time was even created, he knew my name. He knew I was going to be a child of his. And because of the faithfulness of people in my life, And the message that I heard at a young age, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. He is our Savior who came, died, and rose again on the third day. Now, the incredible thing about this is that God has placed his eternal plan of salvation into your hands and mine to proclaim to other people. Sometimes I think, God, why don't you just do it yourself? You'd be way better at it than me anyway. But that's not how he chose to do it. He had 12 disciples, turned into 11, returned to 12, and then multiplied infinitely across the planet. And we have all been given the responsibility, the opportunity, the gift to be able to proclaim the good news to other people. That is our calling. We preach his word and no other word. We are to preach his gospel and no other gospel. Yes, there are preachers that are better than others. There are many who are way better than me. But no one will ever, ever, ever preach a better gospel than this. Next, in verse 4, Paul introduces us to the original recipient of this letter, Titus. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus was a Greek. He was a non-Jewish convert, one of the ways that those who were opposed to Paul and the saved-by-grace truth of the gospel tried to uh, oppose him was to basically say, well, if you weren't born a Jew, then you need to essentially become a Jew. And the way you have to become a Jew is to be circumcised and follow the law. So if you're not a Jew, if you're a Gentile, then you have to do those two things, and that's your only hope of salvation. And Paul's like, no, no, whoa, wait, hold the phone. Paul opposed that adamantly it's by grace i know people that won't eat pork and i just think i really like bacon <laughs> i do and, and I even talked to a person one time and they said they had gone to Lira's and then they found out later that they fried everything in lard and they were mortified because they had broken the law. And I'm just thinking, where is the freedom in Christ in that? Paul, Peter, they both battled against that over and over and over again. Now, we don't take advantage of that freedom 
to just go on sinning. I'm not saying that. But, but Jesus, when he came, said, I have not abolished the law, but I have fulfilled it for you. Live in freedom. Let's live in freedom. You see, we are separated from the world in the Lord. We share a common faith, just as Paul says that he does with, Tim, with Titus. Um, Titus probably became a Christian, be, believed because of Paul's ministry. I don't know that for sure, but Paul here acknowledges that, that Titus is part of the faith, the, the body of Christians. Um, that's the common faith that we share too along with them. Um, with one another. And the message that Paul preached in the same message that Titus is the same message that Titus is to preach to the people in Crete that we are to preach to one another and to those that we know and love. Because we're in God's family, chosen, adopted. Look around you. If the person sitting next to you is a Christ follower, they too have been adopted into the family of God. Though we all have different talents and skills, though we have all been given different gifts by God, and even though we all struggle with sin differently and in different ways and at different levels, if, we, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are a part of the family. And because we are family, we are loved by our Father and our Savior. And flowing from that love are the three Christian blessings of grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's what gets us into the family. Mercy is unlimited compassion. We could, we could say that it's what keeps us in the family. And peace is unsurpassing wholeness. And it, it is what we enjoy once we're in the family. All of this and more is ours because we share a common faith and we are a part of God's family. God's grace inspires godliness and salvation inspires service. And knowing that how much God loves us, that then frees us up, compels us, gives us a passion for serving others and living a godly life, not out of obligation, but out of gratitude, similar to how a man who is captured uh, by the love of his wife returns that love not because he has to or it's a check that he, it's a it's a box that he needs to check off every day, but because he wants to. Who are we? In Christ, we are children of God, a secure part of His family. And what is our purpose? to stay true to the faith, to know and to live godly lives as we proclaim the good news to those around us by using the gifts and personalities and skills and talents that God has given us. Now, I know that this has been a lot and you keep saying to yourself, shut her down, Pastor Dave, we'll land that plane. Man, on our trip last week, we wanted them to take that plane off. Just get us in the air. I want to leave you with four questions, and I don't remember if you have to fill in the blank on those or not. Yes, so here's the four questions that I want you to reflect on. So Paul identified himself as a bondservant. So the question that I want you to contemplate this week is, what is my identity? What is your identity? What unique abilities has God given you? How, how, has, how has he wired you? How has he seasoned 
you with experiences. Take an inventory. As a bond servant of God, how are you equipped? You may even ask a friend, hey, look, I'm not fishing for compliments, but can you think of anything um, in my life that I might use to serve the Lord and bring him glory? Is there something that I'm not doing that you think I would be good at because of, of how God has created me? The second question is, what is my primary purpose? And in that, I want you to ask yourself, who am I committed to? What do you want to see fulfilled most as a result of you being here on earth, knowing that that comes from God? And avoid answering with a should feeling connected to it. Don't say, I should be this. What, what you need to say is, this is my purpose. God is giving me this to do. How am I going to do it? Next, uh, Paul identified that his calling was to proclaim God's word. What is your calling? What are you doing to fulfill your purpose? Or, or maybe ask it another way. What are, you, what are you doing that's keeping you from your purpose? And then finally, Paul affirmed his relationship with Titus. Who are you committed to? Are you cultivating a deep and intimate relationship with treasured people? Do you have a true son or daughter in the faith, somebody that you have been witnessing to or have been living your life before? Um, Is there somebody who has given their life to Jesus Christ because of your life? Because of the way that you've lived your life, they have responded to the calling of God on their life and have surrendered. Um, How are you spending extra time with them? How are you investing in their life? How uh, wouldn't it be good if we all had a Titus in our life, somebody that we were spending time with? So take time this week to answer those questions. I mean, we're all somewhere along the way in our journey. May the Lord use Paul's introduction to his letter to Titus to challenge us and to encourage us to live our life in his hope. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace and thank you for the graciousness of these people as definitely gone over my time this morning. Lord, as the worship team comes up, I pray, Father, that you would help us to Focus on how you've spoke to our hearts this morning. Help us, help us to not just attempt to look away because there's something that we're being convicted about. Help us to surrender that thing to you. And Father, I pray that, that you would help us as North Hills as we anchor and stand on the hope that is our eternity, our eternal life in Jesus Christ as we stand on that and as we look beyond our shores from that life-saving station that is our North Hills Church family. God, I pray that you would help us to see those people that are coming by, that, that are lost and some, some are drowning. God, help us to reach out to them and to, to love them and to pray for them, um, 
and to share with them the amazing grace that we have because of you in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.